Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? I'm really excited for this episode. To, I know. To, 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 to shine a spotlight on some movies that we uh, want people to see. Indeed. But uh, first we've got to get some, uh, got to pay some bills. Uh, As always. Yes. Uh, let's hope we have the skills to pay those bills. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is the Mario Bava film Black Sunday, starring Barbara Steel. Also available is The Wounded Angel, a favorite of the Berlin Film Festival, all about a young man growing up in Kazakhstan and his turbulent adolescence. Uh, and then there is also a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com, that's M-U-B-I.com, slash Battleship, that's very important, slash Battleship, to redeem now. And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com, which is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great. They sound great. We use them each and every day of our lives. Um, we, 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 we love them. We give thanks for them. Um, oh, wow. And uh, you can um, find this, this same light can come into your life uh, if you head over to tweakedaudio.com. If you just uh, accept it into your life. <laughs> <laughs> tweakedaudio.com is where you, where you order these, and they're very available at a low low price over there but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that already low low price and no shipping charges so for some great earbuds go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking what's your secret Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, so before we get into our uh, Through the Cracks, is that what we call it? Yes, Through the okay. Cracks. Our the Through the Cracks that episode. The cracks, yes. um, I did have something for the top. I was talking with a, a fellow student uh, earlier today, um, and no, it was yesterday. I don't know. I've lost all track of uh, what day is what. Um, we're talking about that announcement about the uh, Tony Erdman uh, okay. American remake. Now I've not seen the film. You saw it, right? Yeah, you got to see it, man. I've uh, it. I've heard it's marvelous, uh, and I have no doubt that I will enjoy it. Uh, now, you know, there's not that much to talk about except that I'm excited for it, if for no other reason than to see Jack Nicholson again. I thought he was done. Yeah, he hadn't done anything for five years at this point. Uh, it's been more than that. 2012 was his last. What was he in? 2012? He was he, uh, that James L. Brooks movie, the name of which is really generic, and I don't remember. Yeah, I think like that how, was like how do you know or something. I don't think that was 2012. I thought it was 2012. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I didn't see it. I heard it wasn't very good. Because um, I have, I, I just think 
you and I, like we've been doing the podcast in 2007, but we started being like film critics and like having the blog and everything yes. in early 2011. And I feel like this movie came out before we were like writing movie reviews and going to screenings and stuff. It should be easy enough to look up. And yet somehow I don't want to. Yeah. Let's um, say it's 2010 or let's say let's split the difference. Say it's 2011. You got a deal. You know what? I, I refuse. It is one <laughs> or the other. I will. I want, I, I, I for damn sure. No, it wasn't 2011. Um, so I am excited what, knowing what I know of Tar- Tony Erdman, that doesn't seem like your standard Nicholson role. So that excites me. Yeah. And then Kristen Wiig plays his daughter. That excites me. I like the idea of seeing the two play off of each other, but my, my, uh, fellow student, uh, was naturally, uh, loath to, to be excited about it just because like, well, you know, we don't need an English language remake. And part of me is just like, yeah, I know we don't need it, but you know what I need is another Jack Nicholson performance. <laughs> and uh, so I think we ultimately arrived at it depends on who directs it. And apparently this is something that Jack Nicholson like saw the movie and he was like, I want to make this. That and doesn't surprise me. I could, uh, him coming out of semi-retirement, I feel like that's a choice he is making. And yeah. He probably saw that film and said, it's, yes. It's this. like how True Lies got made. I don't know if you know that story. I guess I don't. Because True Lies is a remake of a French movie. Oh, okay. Um, and apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger came to James Cameron and said, I have an idea. Like, I think this is a role that I'd be good for. Yeah. I saw James Cameron tell that story at a Q and a after aliens of all things. I'm not sure how we got to, to true lies, but he was like, he's like, he's like, that's not the kind of thing Arnold Schwarzenegger used to usually says to you. Yeah. So I decided to listen yeah. uh, and that's how we got true lies. So mm-hmm. th- this could be Jack Nicholson's true lies is what I'm saying somehow. <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> how many Harrier jets do you think are going to be in it? Um, so, he and I were talking about like, well, who could direct it that would be, that would be true to the spirit of Tony Erdman. Now I haven't seen it. And this, uh, fellow student didn't really have a lot of ideas. Uh, but based on what I have read about it, I had a couple of ideas of like really good comedy directors that could capture a specific tone. Uh, but okay. This is that's all conjecture on my part. So I'm going to throw it to you. And I know I, I haven't given you much time to think about it. But yeah. if somebody was going to direct, which someone will yes. uh, direct this English language remake of Tony Erdman, what director do you think would be the best one? The first person that comes to mind, um, e- even though I feel like she, like Jack Nicholson, hasn't made a movie in a while, even longer than Jack Nicholson. But uh, Tamara Jenkins, director of The Savages and Slums of Beverly Hills. Nice. I think that uh, that might be the way to go here. That's not. That's not bad. Uh, again, I say this having not seen Tony Erdman, but knowing a lot about it and knowing that it needs to be a very particular tone. And I think that's pretty solid. Um, I think an argument could be made for Alexander Payne. I just thought of that. Um, I, I mean, I feel like his, um, um, I, cause I, I like Alexander Payne, but I think in, in too many ways and especially in his comedic sense, he's too mannered for what this is supposed to be. What, what type of tone, uh, is, is the film in your opinion? Um, it's, it's, it's teetering on the edge of anarchy. Okay. Um, but I think I, I mean, I, I've jokingly said the movie more more than once is like art house jackass. Okay. Um, and, and and so, uh, I, I think the, uh, Alexander Payne might have a little bit too much of a, uh, a vice grip on his movies. All right. So here was my thought. Okay. Jody Hill. Oh yeah. That's a good one. But I think that's a real good, I one. think between these two, I think we got it. 
So listeners, get the word out to Jack Nicholson that he should uh, get Tamara Jenkins or Jody Hill. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's uh, fun. I will say this, um, just a, t- a tiny little thought that I had um, reading up. It seemed like <laughs> this news item was flooding film Twitter and all the film yeah. blogs when it was like revealed that Marin Ade, the director of Tony Erdman would not be involved. Like, how is that news? Like it would be news if she were. Yeah. That's, but like, that's a when much they, bigger deal. When Hollywood remakes a foreign movie, they don't, I mean, with the exception of the vanishing, which was one of the worst sure. choices ever. Or, um, uh, funny games. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, uh, we're due for another funny games, by the way. Oh, is it time? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember saying this. God, this is proof that we've been doing this podcast for ten years. I remember saying like, it's "Funny Games '97 in German, 2007 in English, 2017. We need like a Spanish language or maybe a Japanese or Chinese funny games." <laughs> that could that could work. But uh, time's running out. Mikhail Haneke. Hanukkah. I don't know if you say his name. Well, I think it's not going to take him long. He knows all the beats to hit. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, um, assuming the house is still there. That's right? true. He that's shot at the same house. I never saw the remake, but it is the no, same no, no. location, right? I yeah. think. Okay. Um, um, anyway. So yeah. All right. So, yeah, we figured that out. We can move on. Uh, before, Are you, would you be, ex- regardless of who directed it, uh, how did you react to the news, you know? Um, I think somewhere between you and your friend, but probably more like you. I was more intrigued by Jack Nicholson wanting to do this movie yeah. um, than I was bummed that um, such a vital and recent film is already getting... Because it feels like... I mean, I, I guess it's a pipe dream for me to think that, you know, a, a huge number of Americans were ever going to watch Tony Herdman. But now there's yeah. uh, almost no reason for them to, at least in, in their... Uh, you know, in, in the mind of the American public. Right. Um, but there's, I mean, I wonder, like we're referring to this as a Hollywood remake. Uh, uh, like uh, if, if a studio is making, I don't know if what has been de- de- decided, if a studio is making this movie, there is stuff in Tony Erdman that I don't think they'll do. Right. Um, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, um, but there is um, some, yeah, there there's some stuff uh that I I can't see uh them doing. Not necessarily stuff that I can't see Kristen Wiig doing because I think Kristen Wiig is a sure. daring actress. I could see her doing sure. it if a movie has more of an independent sensibility, but if this is going to be like Paramount's Tony Erdman, yeah. there's stuff that's not going to be in it. And well, I don't know if it's going to be 2 hours and 45 minutes or however long Tony Erdman is. Probably not. I yeah. feel like that's a guarantee not. Um so right. yeah, I, I what what I will say is that, and maybe this is a, an episode in itself, but I think we've probably already done something like it, um, because you know my my uh, classmate said something that, and I don't like to think in these terms, but every once in a while I find myself thinking this uh, that like oh, I think that opinion is maybe uh, what I the opinion I would have had. And probably did have when I was your age, because um, he's about he's well over ten years older, uh, younger than I am. Uh, but he just and so that sounds really okay. shitty. But like uh, you know, uh, uh, an idealist, uh, an I- uh, idealistic young uh, film student, and he's like, oh well, now with this, you know, we'll never have people never have a reason to see the originals. Like those people weren't going to see it yeah, in the first place. That's unfortunate. If anything. Yeah. 
there's the possibility they will see it, like it so much that when they find out it was based on something, maybe then they'll see it. But it was never on... Yeah. It was never on their radar. That's a good point. Like, I wonder how many more people have seen Infernal Affairs because of The Departed. Undoubtedly. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good, that's, I like that positive spin. Um, Speaking of your age, though, um, The Onion got your age wrong. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if everyone saw this, but there was an Onion article about someone watching a movie in which the character the area man's name was tyler smith age 33 age 33 which you were 35 now i'm 34 i'm almost you'll be 35 this month yes uh yeah when i read that i thought like okay now i'm trying not to be narcissistic about this but this is a weird this is a weird series of coincidences (laughs) the name is the name is tyler smith it's a fairly common name uh Uh, there's a tyler texas in smith county like you know there is a (laughs) basketball player named tyler smith so they could have just named somebody that for any of their articles, but it's movie related. Yeah, it's very specific. And it's my, and it's really close to my age. And so I did. And it's like, and I am a very semi public figure. And, <laughs> right. and what with, you know, Casper Kelly knowing about us, uh, there's always the possibility yeah, that someone awesome. out there that, that writes for the onion knows us and maybe thought they would incorporate this as a fun little thing. You know, they don't say who they didn't never say the author. Yeah, of there's those. no bylines on the end. Um, boy, that was cause somebody, I think Scott and other people like tweeted at me and I thought like, Oh, okay. And then an onion article, whatever. And I clicked on, it, I thought, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> uh, but again, it's it, David Bax is a rare name. That would, that would definitely be if, yes. Uh, yeah. If, if some future, uh, onion writer puts the name David Bax in one, we'll know for sure that someone at the onion listens to the podcast. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all right. Um, before we move on, I want to just, uh, first off, if you got any questions for our ask BP video segments, yes. it's a, it's our sort of mail video mailbag segment, um, that we're going to, we used to do, we're going to go back to doing these to be on, on the website and on YouTube. Um, Email me, David at, uh, David at battleship I forgot my email address of 10 years <laughs> somehow. Um, David at battleship retention.com with, uh, with your questions that you'd like me and Tyler to, uh, address not necessarily movie related questions, but I'm assuming that's what you listen to us for. So they'll probably be, yeah. be movie related. Um, and then, um, meanwhile, over at the, uh, at the, at the website, over at the dot com, uh, that's what they say. If you ever listen to like, yeah, ESPN radio or, or whatever, like there's, ESPN. Where do you think is, I heard about this Tony Erdman <laughs> remake? <laughs> but like ESPN people will refer to the website as dot com. Okay. And the magazine as the magazine. Like, oh, I see. Uh, as a, to, to refer to the different arms of, uh, of ESPN. So now that we have so many multiple arms, we should start referring to over at dot com. Um, <laughs> uh, what are these other arms that you're talking about? Uh, you mean stuff, like Twitter and there's, Facebook there's and stuff? stuff in the okay, got it. Um, <laughs> So, uh, if, especially, I'm not sure if we mentioned this before. If you live in the Los Angeles area or be visiting the Los Angeles area, check out Scott's week, weekly column called the LA report, right. which is a, a sort of roundup of the best, uh, repertory screenings, um, every, that he put, publishes on, uh, uh, Thursday or Friday of every week. Um, Meanwhile, Sarah is still going through the uh, BP listener top 100. Our top tens are still going strong. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, t- sorry, tops ten up until up until the Oscars. Matt Warren's is up there, up there now. Um, you've the BP got, nominees. You can uh, still read those. Yep, yep. Um, West uh, uh, looked at uh, Pretty in Pink music over at the Musical Notation uh, podcast. Um, um, and you've got reviews this week of. 
uh, a cure for wellness and 50 shades darker and the Oscar, uh, shorts. Um, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So far as of this recording, the, uh, animated and live action reviews are up. I'm not sure. Um, the documentary one should be up, uh, by the time you're hearing this. I'm genuinely, if not excited, at least curious for a cure for wellness. I like Gore Verbinski when he's like, you know, getting away from, uh, pirates, pirates. films. But yeah, I mean, I, I really like yeah, the I ring. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I haven't seen that many Gore Verbinski movies. I, I also like The Ring. And yeah. I like The First Pirates, which is the only one I've seen. Um, I didn't see The Lone Ranger. I know it has its defenders. Uh, and yeah, I never Scott's saw The Mexican. I did see The Mexican, and I liked that. Okay. And, and he did The Weatherman, which I thought was pretty good. Never but saw the idea either. of him making this you know, R-rated science fiction thriller sounds yeah. very and, and a very uh, a very uh, bleak one at that sounds very exciting to me yeah and I, and I like dane dehan i like him as a leading man definitely definitely all right uh let's get into it shall we indeed this is as we uh, teased before this is our through the cracks episode we do this every year uh the week before we do our top 10 uh and the idea is now next year next year next week we'll do our top 10 as which well will, which will involve what uh our top 10 yes our honorable mentions. Yeah. We'll each pick an underrated and overrated movie of mm-hmm. the year that oh, underrated. It breaks my heart that I have to choose between one of two this year. Mm. I have two very strong contenders for underrated movie of the year, and I have to pick only one. Uh, and I'm, I'm heartbroken about it and we'll do our worst, not our worst 10, just our worst movie yeah. of the year. So these movies that we're just going to talk about five movies today. And these are movies that we really like that aren't, any of those things that we just said. And maybe we feel we feel didn't qualify for any of those things, but are worth the attention. Maybe they didn't yeah. get enough attention or maybe we feel, um, differently about them than a lot of other people did. Or yeah. for some reason we decided we didn't want to get through our end of year, uh, wrap ups without, um, shining a light on these movies. So I am going to start with, a, an, um, uh, Argentinian movie called the 10th man. Okay. Uh, and it's, um, uh, see, I had it called up here, but it's a, uh, 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 I guess you'd call it a, a slice of life comedy, but it also has a bit of heightened sort of farce elements, uh, to it. And the, the premise is that there's, uh, this, this guy, he's, um, uh, he's, an, he's both from Buenos Aires and Jewish. And there's a, and the movie takes place in the very sort of, you know, the very specific sort of milieu that you and I probably don't think about very much, which is like a Jewish neighborhood in Buenos Aires. Um, I actually think about that pretty frequently. <laughs> um, uh, but there's this character who has since uh, moved to New York city and he works, you know, he's got a big office job or whatever, but he's going home, um, um, to, to his, uh, sorry, what are you laughing about? Nothing. It's fine. It's right. okay. Okay. This is a generational thing. And maybe it's just me. When you hear someone say New York City, what? how often does it occur to you to say New York City? <laughs> now that you mention it, yeah, that, that is... That it is happens pretty regularly. natural response, yeah. Um, so uh, he, he, he goes home um, to the neighborhood where he grew up in where his, his father um, runs um, essentially like a... a charity type soup kitchen stuff. He'd like, he, he supplies food and, uh, medical care and clothing and all sorts of goods. Um, you know, it's, it's a donation center and he gives it back to the community. Um, and he's a guy who's 
constantly, uh, you know, out rubbing elbows and making deals, trying to say like, you know, don't make me this, don't make me that, like, you know, uh, trying to be a man of the neighborhood and help out the neighborhood. I say he's like this, this is the father, um, but we don't meet him until pretty far into the movie because even though this character who I had to look up, um, I, uh, Ariel is the, is the man's name. Ariel, I'm not sure how you'd say that uh, in, you know, Buenos Aires. Um, but um, he's there essentially to visit his father, but his father is never around. Mm-hmm. And it's like it becomes the sort of uh, waiting for Godot type joke of the movie that he never actually crosses crosses paths with his father uh, until late in the movie. I guess it's a bit of a spoiler, but come on. Obviously, that was going to happen at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's just this sort of... Uh, deceptively slight seeming comedy um where he you know uh it's like i said as far as elements he gets his he gets lost he gets his cell phone stolen and uh you know all this stuff keeps going wrong for him he keeps getting dragged into like taking over his father's place you know when people come to the the charity center the donation center or whatever and and have questions and the father's not there uh he'll call and say let them talk to ariel so um yeah, he he keeps being in the situations he doesn't you know he has to like sort of play catch up it has this sort of um it's it, it's sort of loose but fast-paced sort of comedy you know uh of errors fish out of water farce all the all those type of things uh but it's also a really deeply affecting story about this guy and his father um and this idea um that um his father dedicates his life to helping people and is, is everything to everyone, but is essentially absent and distant from his own son. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the whole, you know, the whole thing's over in an hour and a half. Uh, you'll laugh your ass off and, and you'll feel very moved by it. And it's just a, uh, a really lovely, uh, little wisp of a movie that, um, barely got, uh, any, um, any, any release. I, the main reason I saw it, actually is because um uh i guess about a year ago um uh is it limley so uh, yeah limley reopened in the um the aria fine arts theater in beverly hills um which i had been closed most of the time uh that i have lived in los angeles and i'd never seen a movie there and so i'd been meaning to for a while <laughs> and then that one came up and i was and i was and i you know my my wife natalie and i had like a weekend evening free and i was like this sounds good i wanted to go to this theater so i basically just went to see it to say i saw a movie in the fine arts theater because i've been meaning to say that for a year uh and ended up absolutely loving it so it's called the tenth man all right um yeah uh, I, I meant to pull up the director's name and i've uh, forgot uh, the director's name is daniel berman okay uh, so looking at my list, I'm pretty sure you have seen none of these, uh, because these are not big movies. Um, that might be true of my list too. Uh, it's, I mean, that you've seen, I've seen all the ones on my list. Okay. Yeah. That would be very strange. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, the, I guess this happens every year, but I feel like this year, especially I went to a lot of screenings of movies that nobody cares about. Uh Uh, I didn't know that when I volunteered, they sounded interesting. Right. Uh, and they had a good cast or, or, or notable director or something or an interesting premise. And, but just nobody talked about them at all. And me, and it sort of made me feel like I put a lot of effort into writing this review and no one cares at all. Uh, 
So I will start with this film, but I'd be better about you and I both could be better about pushing those reviews on, on, on Twitter and stuff. That's reviews, true. Cause we have reviews of movies that don't have that many reviews a lot. Yeah. Maybe we can get them out there. You know, maybe we can get them seen by some more people. Sure. That's yeah, true. We, we gotta be better at social media. Uh, so the, fi- the first film that I'm going to talk about along those lines is a Joshua Marston film called Complete Unknown. I did not see it. Starring Michael Shannon and uh, Rachel Weisz. And... Oh, this is the Michael Shannon movie from 2016. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Because he was in like 10 movies oh, this shit. year. Right, yes. <laughs> I forgot. Um, yeah, this is such a strange little film. It's one that I think is is shot beautifully. Uh, it has some really nice music, great acting all around, and I think it's and it's written very sharply. Uh, I wish that it had gotten more of a reception because the the two leads do a, a really wonderful job. But the the story is that Michael Shannon is is married to uh, this uh, woman who's an artist. And she is getting some level of success. He has a job that's a little bit more boring. Um, and they're toying with the idea and they're, they're based in New York, but they're toying with the idea of moving to California to pursue her business, uh, you know, her mm-hmm. art, which is again, becoming pretty successful. And, uh, she has an opportunity out in California. So they're trying to figure out if this is the thing to do, but he's really reluctant. Uh, and then it's, uh, and then his friends are coming over for his birthday party. Uh, and one of his coworkers comes in with his new girlfriend played by Rachel Weiss. And we immediately see that there's that like Michael Shannon and Rachel Weiss are kind of looking at each other kind of, and we think, Oh, okay. They, are they attracted to each other? What's going on? And then it is revealed. And this is not a spoiler cause it happens pretty early. It is revealed that they used to date about 15 years before. And then she simply disappeared. Uh, and in fact, she doesn't merely disappear. She goes from one place to another to another and invents completely new identities for herself. Mm-hmm. And she lives, she's lived in other countries. She's had all kinds of jobs and then she will abruptly leave and just start all over again. And so he, the two wind up spending an evening together and getting to know each other, but also, or, you know, getting to know each other again, but also hearing about what she has been doing. And you know, it's so different than his situation. You know, uh, he has the opportunity to move to California for very logical reasons. Uh, and he's reluctant to do that. Meanwhile, this woman is, is very impulsive about, uh, you know, I think I've achieved everything I need to achieve where I am now. It's time to move on. Um, and it winds up being in my, in my view, this really fascinating, uh, meditation on art Mm. and artists but in this case, the artist is herself the work of art. She is constantly recreating herself. You know, it kind of goes to that idea of, you know, a uh, great art is never finished. It's abandoned mm-hmm. that she is perpetually creating new characters. She's writing them, she's playing them and she's, uh, having people react to them and then she abandons them. Uh, and she finds it exhilarating to, and, in a way, yes, she is tricking people, but she's not getting anything from them. She's not, she's not a con artist. Right. Uh, she is doing this just in the same way that any, anybody who's ever acted can understand, which is how exciting it can be to, uh, live in, in the skin of this other character who is so different from you. Um, and so it's, it's just such a fascinating idea and it's written so 
it's written so well. And these two, uh, and, and I, the film takes its time and you really get a sense of who these two characters are, their history, and then what has happened since then. And it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, I think Amazon put it out and it got a, a, a nothing theatrical release, but I think it's available on Amazon now. And, and I, I highly recommend it. Well, um, jumping from one racial vice vehicle to another. Okay. Uh, now on our, on our movie journal this week, you, you briefly mentioned, um, uh, the place beyond the pines, mm-hmm. uh, which everyone loved rightfully. And I'm still a little bit flabbergasted that so few people paid attention to Derek Sion France's, uh, movie this year, the light between oceans. Right. So I am uh, using my bully pulpit here to say, Hey, don't let it pass you by just because no one paid attention to it. Uh, it's a really terrific movie. Um, and you didn't, you didn't see it. Uh, I did not. Okay. Uh, there is, uh, uh, personal reasons. Hmm. That's very interesting. That's more intriguing yeah. than I'm necessarily willing to let go. Uh, it, well, mm. we can talk off mic. Oh, okay. So it really is a personal yeah. thing. Okay. Um, so, uh, the light between oceans is, uh, um, a, uh, a, you know, big sweeping emotional melodrama. Um, and maybe that's why, uh, people didn't take it seriously. Mm. Um, uh, unfortunately, but it's, uh, the story of, um, uh, Michael Fassbender's character plays someone who has, um, recently come back from, uh, world war one. Is that right? Uh, no, I can't remember, um, what year it takes place, but I think world war one, uh, and he, um, takes a job as a lighthouse keeper at an Island off the coast. You know, the light, lighthouse is on a little spit of rock. That's just big enough for him to have, uh, a home to live in in the lighthouse and, and, and a little, little bit of beach and, 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 and grass. Um, um, and it's off the coast of this, this small town, um, in, uh, uh, well, I think the, the novel takes place in Australia, but, um, anyway, that's not the point. Um, and he takes the job specifically because he wants to be alone. He's probably suffering from some sort of right. uh, what they would have called shell shock at the time. Post-traumatic stress disorder is what we call it now. Um, and he, he wants to be alone, but over the course of his months there, when he goes into town for, um, uh, for supplies or whatever, he, um, starts to fall for, uh, Alicia Vikander's, um, character, and um, I feel like I'm taking way too long because this is all, you know, the, I, mean, I haven't even gotten to what the main story of the right. movie is, which is that uh, they get married. She comes to live in, on the White House, uh, White House, uh, the house, oh, the, wow. light, the lighthouse. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, sorry, I'm skipping through some major plot developments here. No, I just um, need to be alone. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and and uh, then, you know, she repeatedly miscarries um and they're distraught over their inability to uh have have a kid and um then a kid washes up on shore essentially a, a boat with a dead man and a living baby hmm. uh washes up on their little island this baby killed um, a guy uh, <laughs> well i don't want to give any spoilers right. it's and, like an omen situation yeah and they decide to raise the kid uh anyway that's that's the uh the the plot but um really what i want to um call out is um Derek C. France's uh 
pacing and visual style, which is in, in some ways very much uh, carried over from the place beyond the pines. Like they're both movies that I think superficially look like have kind of a drab look to them in terms of like the color palette. Um, do you know what I'm talking about with place beyond the pines? Yes. Uh, but the more you watch it, the more you realize there's a true and deeply considered beauty to um, the way that these uh, shots are, are composed and, and framed. And of course you've got a landscape here. You've got the ocean and this and, and these and beach and hills and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's a, a lot to work with. And then you also have a terrific and beautiful score by Alexander Desplat or Desplat. I'm not sure how you say his name. Um, uh, and fantastic performances all around from, uh, I mean, I mentioned Rachel Weiss is, is in it. Um, she's a, a woman who lives in the town. Uh, I won't say much more than that. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's the kind of, it's, it's weird. You know, this is a year where we're celebrating, or at least some of us, those of us who haven't, uh, given into the backlash bandwagon, but we're celebrating La La Land, mm-hmm. um, for being kind of a, a throwback in many ways. And I guess that, uh, you know, the film community isn't, wasn't ready for this kind of like right. throwback, this kind of lush, uh, romantic, um, throwback. That's not a musical. That's like a, a you know, a self serious <laughs> melodrama. No, uh, but, um, I think, I think that's a shame. I think people who, who skipped this movie, um, or didn't look into it too deeply, uh, did themselves a, a disservice. Um, you know, Derek C. France didn't stop being a great director. Right. <laughs> uh, it, so, uh, I, because I guess that's part of why I was, I'm not only surprised that people dismissed it. I was surprised that there was so little buzz leading up to it. Like to me, yeah, the true. place beyond the pines is so good that I, it seems to me that we all should have been very excited to see the new Derek San Franz movie. And I know I was, and I guess I'm, I was, I'm surprised and maybe a little bitter from the, from even before I saw the movie that there wasn't more, uh, eagerness, uh, to check from it out a, from a film Twitter standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's, it, it, it might not, I mean, place beyond the pines did not get any real like award consideration, but, and it's not a, it, I feel like it's a film that was sort of discovered, uh, after it came out, like within a right, year or so, a slow burn. Thing, um, yeah. but it was so embraced by, uh, the like online film lovers community that, yeah, you would think that they'd be excited, but maybe I'd say by and large, uh, online film critics, people about our age or maybe younger, there are movies that they love. Uh, mm-hmm. and types of movies that they love. And I find, uh, I would, I often find that, uh, melodramatic romances don't fall into that. Yeah. That's, um, and that's a, that's a bummer. Yeah. I feel like we, we had this conversation with Scott at one, I'm not sure what episode, but he was on for something mm-hmm. and, and we talked about this, this same, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, a generation of critics that can't, I don't know, can't let their guard down or can't like drop their irony well, uh, and- long enough to enjoy a good melodrama. You know, and and there are there are good critics uh, out there that One or are two. that are committed. And, and you know there's what? Us. <laughs> right there. So sometimes one or two, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I watch, you know, the nostalgia critic, like, like I watch some, some video, uh, critics, you know, the red letter media guys, and they are focused on entertainment, but they're also very insightful, uh, insightful, but they're insightful about genre films. Um, by which I mean, you know, horror, uh, comic book, sci-fi, whatever it is. Um, and I find myself 
wishing that they could use their platform because they're remarkably successful and, and very popular. And sometimes I wish like, Oh, wouldn't it be awesome if they just, if these guys, you know, decided to talk about moonlight, wouldn't that be marvelous? Mm-hmm. And maybe, and maybe their viewers would, uh, would suddenly, uh, be exposed to something that they wouldn't otherwise. But then I realized like, yeah, but you know, they know their audience and they know yeah. what's going to get them clicks and, and I don't know. It's, I can't, gotta I can't, get, gotta get them clicks. Gotta get them clicks. Uh, and I don't think I begrudge them that, but, uh, you know, I feel, uh, I feel very, very grateful for what we have tried to embrace on this show because whatever we want to do is fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's also probably why we're not nearly as successful as those guys. Um, okay. So next up for me is a film that I have talked about. It's directed by Gavin hood. It's called Eye in the sky. Uh, oh, now I did not see, Sotsi, his okay. film. I did. I did see rendition. Boo hiss. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone, I didn't see it. Like everyone else, I think forgot that movie existed. And then, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're like the one person who can't forget. <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> you're like the giver. <laughs> you're the one holding on to the memory of rendition, right? In, in case it needs to be passed on to someone else, and it will need to be. <laughs> yes, uh, just to keep Gavin Hood uh, humble. But then comes X Men Origins Wolverine, which will definitely do that job. Uh, and then he made <laughs> Ender's Game, and I and a lot of people because uh, he hadn't really put out a good movie in a while. I think people were inclined to say that it was something of a uh, that like Tootsie, which for which he won an Oscar for foreign mm-hmm. language film. Um, I think they were willing to say that he was something of a fluke and that he just was not going to do well in Hollywood. Then Eye in the Sky comes out, which has a great cast. It's got, you know, Alan Rickman's last performance, I believe. Um, although I guess I think maybe the caterpillar in the Alice sequel is his last official performance, oh, okay. but, um, it's got Helen Mirren, uh, Aaron Paul, uh, Barkat Abdi. Um, it is, it's got a great cast and it is about, the the international community uh, 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 surveillance and and security community. So you have like Americans working with the British um, as they're targeting uh, some uh, uh, radical Islamic terrorists who are all in this one house. Uh, they're they're having this meeting and they're all right there, and so they're thinking like, okay, let's just use a drone and blow up that house. But then this little girl uh, sets up, you know, because she sells, you know, bread on the side mm-hmm. of the road. And so she sets up shop and just starts like selling this bread. And like, we don't want to we don't want to kill this girl. But they're also recognizing that, oh, the guys in the house, they are getting ready to go do something. Mm-hmm. And what they're going to do is going to be much more. Uh, damaging than this one girl. And so they're having this debate and. And so that's the military part of it, but then they're also dealing with the political side of it. And there's all of these things and, and the clock is ticking because those guys are going to leave and they're going to go probably to like a mall or something like that. And there will be major casualties. And so, but you also, thankfully you do spend time with this girl, you get to know her and you realize what's going to be lost. Um, so it really, and and there are people that are a little bit hawkish, but then there are people that are that are um, really reluctant, and both of them have a have a point. Um, and it really is just it's it, it comes down so much to that that uh, that phrase, the fog of war, because 
there are people who they know as much as they can know, and they know a lot, but so much of it boils down to, okay, well, what could happen? And let's do everything we can to, to keep that from happening. But it's all, there, there are no guarantees. Uh, everybody's just sort of ballparking it as much as, as, uh, as is possible. And so, um, so yeah, uh, and it's edited wonderfully. It cuts, mm. you know, cause it's very few of these people are in the same room, you know, oh, Helen right. Mirren is in control of her little room. Alan Rickman is, is, you know, the military liaison to the, the politicians. Aaron Paul is the drone pilot, like off, uh, in a little bunker somewhere. And so, but they're all connected. So they're talking to each other, but they're not seeing each other, which adds this other element that maybe that and sort of gets to the nature of drone warfare where when you're not seeing victims or even the people that are saying that are giving the order, it's very possible to dehumanize. And the nature of a drone is a human is not actually Mm -hmm. in this plane or anything like that. So there's so much going on. Wonderful performances. It is a, it is indeed a really good final performance for Alan Rickman. Uh, He is and he's a guy that's a little bit hawkish, but reluctantly so. And there comes a moment when he is dealing with a politician there at the, at the end, once, once everything has happened, that's going to happen. And the politician just like shames him in a way, tries to shame him in a way that is easy for a politician to do. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back and says, I know, I don't think you understand exactly what we're talking about here. And I don't think you understand what I've been through. I know what this looks like. And it's just, it really is acting wise from an editing standpoint and just, you're just on the edge of your seat. Oh, and also kind of funny sometimes in a doctor strange love in an, in the loop kind of way, like the, the bureaucracy that they have to deal with sometimes. Uh, and then the different attitudes, that's between, the magic like, word right there. Bureaucracy. There's no funny. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, but, but you feel like, it's by definition gallows humor. How could I have the audacity to laugh when there is a little girl's life in the balance or a mall full of people? You know, it's, it really just, it really just balances all this stuff. I would say perfectly. Um, it's a marvelous film. Yeah. It seems like there's a couple of, it has, this movie has a couple of champions out there. I've seen a couple of people mention, but not many, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I know that there are people who, feel this way about the movie. I can't and, think uh, knowing our audience the way we do, knowing you the way I do, I can't think of anybody that wouldn't like this except people that really cannot take the kind of stress that we're talking right. about. All right. Uh, I want to move on to a movie that um, I think was just on, not our most recent movie journal, but the week before um, I, I just recently watched uh, this movie. It's a, it's a feature directorial debut. Uh, it's called spa night. Um, it takes place here in Los Angeles, but in, um, the uh, in Koreatown in the Korean Amer- American community. Um, that's uh, it's so embedded in that that you know large large stretch- stretches of the movie are just in Korean because the um, if people don't remember me talking about the movie journal the uh, the premise is that um, there's this main character his name is David um, that's not why I like the movie just a coincidence um, his parents are you know uh, he's first generation his parents came from uh, Korea. Um, specifically to come to America to start a business. They started a restaurant uh, and to give their son a better shot. It's Mm -hmm. it's kind of a, um, a pretty, um, a pretty standard, uh, I think immigrant experience when I understand a pretty standard immigrant story. Um, But he is not what they expected. 
they love him. They love him. Mm. And then, and no one ever says out loud to, to him that he's a disappointment, but he feels this pressure because he's not, a, he wasn't, a, he wasn't a good student. He's now college age. The kids he went to, to school and church with, um, are now in college. Um, he's working at the restaurant. He, he knows that he's not, um, the type of person his parents envisioned, mm-hmm. um, even though they still love him. Uh, and then the other reason he's not the person they envisioned is that he's gay. Uh, but like I said on the movie journal, it would be wrong to d- describe spot night as like a gay themed movie. It's, uh, I, I'd say it's, it's much more of an immigrant, uh, you know, American immigrant story or, or first generation, um, story than it is, uh, a, you know, quote unquote gay, uh, story or even a specifically Korean American story. Um, but, uh, it's an incredibly heartfelt, but I feel like when I describe a movie as heartfelt, it makes it sound sappy. It's this movie is not sappy. This is, this is, uh, this is my kind of movie in a way that Tyler is probably also your kind of movie mm-hmm. uh, in that it's the kind of movie that a lot of people might describe as slow. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of movie that has long sections that don't have any real dialogue or just have incidental dialogue uh, of people going about their, their lives. I like to um, say patient. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, you say patient. I, I think I usually say like it moves at a, a determined pace Ooh. or something like that uh, or a deliberate, deliberate, deliberate is pace. good. Yeah. Yeah meditative um, i like to say meditative yeah, that's as good. well yeah there's a lot of, um, a lot of ways to say slow in a smart way <laughs> but even when there is something happening like when there's a scene at a party or at a karaoke bar the camera is pretty much just locked in on david and you're seeing his discomfort or mm. his um feelings of inadequacy or his his shyness um and it's the uh, I, when i i didn't mention the actor uh when we did in the movie journal and i uh feel bad because the the lead performance is a guy named joe Siao co i'm not sure how you say his name um and it's a it's a it's a terrific performance and like it's both this movie being a first feature and joe co not being a, a, an actor that i know are are surprising to me because they're both so great. This seems like such a, an assured first feature. And this is such an, uh, uh, a nuanced and subtle, uh, performance, um, that, uh, I guess, um, Andrew on the director is another, uh, one to watch. I hope that, uh, I hope that there's more from him in, in the future, because I, I think this is a really, uh, like I said, a really assured, uh, debut, um, and uh, uh, a really touching story without being, you know, sentimental. All right. Uh, next up for me is Sean Ellis's Anthropoid. Now, I should say, this is not a perfect film. Um, there are, I think, some flaws with it. Uh, I don't care much about the, the main characters. Um, I care about their dilemma. Uh, it is a, a true story about, um, some, uh, Czechs, uh, during world war two in occupied Czechoslovakia. Um, and the third, the, the third in command, uh, of the, the third Reich, um, spends a lot of time in Czechoslovakia. And so they are working on how can we assassinate this guy? And so there's Operation Anthropoid, and it is it is them trying to figure out how are we going to make this happen. Uh, but then 
they also recognize that where to me where the dilemma comes in i i i guess i like military movies that involve a dilemma as they should um it comes in that like to kill him is to strike a symbolic blow and maybe only that mm-hmm. yes he's third in command and that's a big deal someone will replace him and in the meantime the nazis will slaughter thousands of checks in response there's no question about it so how important is a symbolic victory uh in you know because you could embolden people and maybe it'll help the cause but also innocent people could get killed as just so you can you know strike this blow so that is what we are dealing with and it's really you know it's hard to know exactly where you would where you would land and and all sides are represented it's shot in prague which is to say it's beautiful um and now given the title of the movie i'm waiting for the space aliens to show up yeah i know that is a an unfortunate title um i wonder if how many of the i wonder how many of these movies i'm talking about could possibly do better if they had a better title complete unknown what does that even mean I completely uh, don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I totally have no idea. Did I do that right? Um, Eye in the Sky is kind of a cheesy title. I wish that were called something else. Anthropoid, what the hell does that even mean? Um, So, yeah, it is is, uh, unfortunate. But um, so the the film is is gorgeous to look at um, and where it really shines. So there's that dilemma. But that can only carry you so far. Where it really shines is Act 3, when there has been the assassination attempt, and then the people that uh, have tried to do this, they uh, they hole up in a church, and they are just fending off uh, these uh, just wave after wave of Nazi soldiers. And we know that they're not going to make it. It's not possible. They will run out of ammo. Um and but it they just hold them off for so long and it's it's cut together well i'm you're on the edge of your seat and and as as they again like as they just keep not dying i know that sounds weird but just yeah. you, it's it it really is just uh you know, hundreds of people outside the hundreds of soldiers outside the church trying to kill like 12 people inside and, and they're constantly coming into the church. And, uh, and yes, of course our heroes are not, they're not all going to make it, but, um, so it's, you know, there's almost an Alamo quality to it. But then when you, again, when you realize that this is all based on true story and this, this, uh, this, um, what do you call it? This, not a shootout, but this siege, a siege, I guess I'm trying to, that's more from the point of view of the Nazis, but like the guys who, uh, hold up inside this church, but whatever oh. you want, whatever you want to say, um, that actually did happen. And yeah. now that doesn't necessarily matter to me that much. Um, you know, there are some people say like, Oh, can you believe this happens? Like, I can believe it happened, but the fact that I'm watching something factual doesn't actually matter that much, but it's right, the right. way that it's put yes, out there I agree. that something as, as inherently cinematic and just so exciting, um, uh, can happen in the third act because once the assassination, assassination attempt 
uh, attempt occurs, I find myself thinking like, okay, well, where are we going to go from here? And it's, oh, they need to get out of the city. And then you get this astonishing third act. Um, so like I said, the film is not perfect. I don't care that much about the characters themselves, except that, except their dilemma and the fact that they are, you know, that they are a hold up in this, in this church and they are, they're fighting for their lives. And so, um, yeah, it's, it really is, uh, and let me actually, sorry, let me go back a little bit. I will also say that, and I know this sounds awful because there are a few things that are maybe more cinematic than war. Uh, Mm. but at the same time, I'm reluctant to watch a war movie unless I feel like it's going to bring something new to it because, and I feel bad about that because I recognize that people actually did die uh, in this war and you should try to honor them as often as you can. But at the same time, if you've seen one, not if you've seen one, you've seen them all, but if you've seen the big ones, you might've seen them all. Like what, what, what is a new film going to bring to world war two? And I think by embracing that dilemma, uh, and World War II was a was a war where symbolic victories were a big deal. Um, so embracing that dilemma and then this third act sets this apart from other, I'd say, more mediocre war films. Okay. Um, now we talked about uh, bad titles. This next movie maybe takes the the uh, takes the prize for my favorite movie title of the year. Okay. And this is Zach Clark's Little Sister. Okay. Uh, and the reason I like the title so much is because it has two meanings. Okay. It is both about uh, a, a, a young woman and her relationship to her older brother, uh, but also she's a uh, nun, or at least a nun in training. Oh, uh, a young cute. nun. So, um, and and um, I, the order that I said them in is actually the opposite of how we um, learn about uh, about her. Um, we start with her in uh, a, a New York um, convent where she's. Um, not, I can't remember, remember what the term it, term term is. She's not technically a nun yet. Mm-hmm. She's training to be a nun or, or whatever, living in the con- convent. Um, and she gets an email uh, from her mother um, that her uh, not not mother superior, but okay. um, uh, her her mother. The mother superior actually is played by. Um, Barbara Crampton, is that her name? The mom from You're Next? Um, oh, yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and she's fantastic. Um, but uh, she gets a, a, an email from her actual mother, played by Ali Sheedy, um, saying that your brother has come home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she uh, arranges with Barbara Crampton to um, get a few days off to go down to her, um, is it Virginia, I think? Uh, like sort of um, ex-urban uh, town um, in, in Virginia, um, to see her, her, her family. And that's when we find, that's when we find out more that when this, when, when this, uh, we found out, we found out that when she graduated high school, she almost immediately left and went to the convent and hasn't actually talked to any of her family in over a year at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find out that, um, the brother coming home, what that means is that he was, um, um, horribly burned in a uh, uh, roadside bomb explosion in Iraq mm. um, uh, and has been in a military hospital overseas recovering for some time and he's finally able to uh, to come home. Um, and we also find um, in a way that seems like a, 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 a just a cheap joke at first, but it becomes uh, more and more important to her character that she was like a total like 
uh, Marilyn Manson loving, like hmm. goth, <laughs> like metal industrial, yeah. uh, teenager, um, before, before joining the convent. Cause we see, yeah, yeah. Well, all we've seen her in is her like none, none to be clothes, which is like, you know, <laughs> the sweaters buttoned all the way up to the neck yeah. and like the, uh, whatever. And then she gets home and she goes into her bedroom where the walls are painted black and there's like Marilyn Manson posters. And she hasn't, in fact, ab- above her bed is a nice little moment. There's an inverted cross, which mm. she reaches over and turns the right way, uh, That's when nice. she gets home. Um, but uh now I, I mentioned Iraq, um and this is one of those movies uh in fact it might have been the reason I brought up this as a topic. We still need to do this as a topic. But um like uh, and I can't remember what we called it, but sort of uh uh short distance period pieces. Sure. Because this is a twenty sixteen movie that takes place in two thousand eight, yeah. in late in fall of two thousand eight. It takes place latter day period pieces. Uh <laughs> yes. It takes place in the weeks leading up to the election of Barack Obama, which um, if you remember at the time, like by that point, by two or three weeks before the election, it was pretty clear to who, that McCain was not going to win. Right. Um, so that's um, very much where, where we are. And uh, it, it seems like an odd choice at first. And you realize that this movie, that's a very touching movie about uh, um, a, a girl coming to terms with the family that has hurt her so much. And the, um, the, the, the brother who was the only sort of life raft that she had growing up. Cause he was also like a metal head. They could mm-hmm. tell that like they were good friends and their mom was a, a, a drug addict. Um, uh, and, um, uh, uh, but he's come back as someone different mm-hmm. because he is very, uh, not only, you know, he was horribly burned and, and, uh, and injured, but he, uh, is withdrawn. He doesn't want to go out because his face is burned. Um, and he, um, so you've got this story of this family coming back together. That's also, a um, a, a, a political commentary looking, I think at in some ways with this, the they have to with the effects of the uh, of the war in Iraq, looking at what led to so much hope being attached to Barack Obama's candidacy, mm-hmm. but also looking with 2016 eyes and uh, having sort of some you know hindsight to say you know there like a character says to the the son when he finally does go out to the go to the the convenience store with his sister um and another character says you know remarks on him i'm glad you're back from the war you must be so excited for barack obama no. um and you the, he doesn't seem particularly excited. he doesn't have a lot of range of expression in his face so we don't we don't know but i think that line is in there to say like our you know uh in in terms of our foreign policy, you know, uh, and our position overseas and in the middle East and all that, like, um, what, what, what has changed? What is different for our soldiers? Um, and, uh, does that, does that hope seem foolhardy now, uh, in, in retrospect? Um, but that's not, it's not leaned on. That's probably the most, that, that, scene the woman saying you must be so excited for obama um is probably as uh blatant as this stuff gets but it's a a, a very interesting movie very heartfelt movie that has um uh 
a contender for single greatest scene of the year, which is when the, the, um, brother still doesn't want to come out of his room, you know, and, uh, the, um, the, the, the sister who we know is a nun, um, goes into his room with like some fake blood and a fake baby doll and puts on a guar song and lip syncs and acts out this guar song. That's about like kidnapping, murdering and raping children. Um, and she like does the whole thing. Cause it's like, this is clearly, they were like into guar together when yeah. they were, when they were teenagers or whatever. And it's like uh, a really bizarre and dark, but also incredibly touching uh, scene. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie this year. Guar, you've done it again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's keep the let's keep it going with uh, frustratingly vague titles. Um, we're gonna go with uh, Daniel Ragus's. I don't okay. know. Uh, Imperium. Okay, starring yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Another one. You're right. Another one I didn't see. Uh, so. You know, in the in the spirit of what you were talking about earlier, uh, a film that has actually become more relevant since yeah. I saw it. I have found myself thinking I need to watch this movie yeah. more and more since since January 20th. Because I myself uh, had a, something of a political response to it mm-hmm. um, because it's about white supremacists. Um, I believe it's it's what it's. Uh, something of a uh, latter day period piece. Um, I think, I don't think it takes place in modern day, but it's like a few years ago, Um, but not many. Um, And it's about this, uh, I I forget if it's FBI or or CIA agent played by Daniel Radcliffe, who goes undercover with uh, various white supremacist groups and to try to gather intel on, on things that they might be planning. And, you know, I honestly, I, I had, I had a response, uh, that, that, uh, that in retrospect, I, I'm not necessarily ashamed of the response, but you know, in the film, uh, they, everybody's focused on, you know, radical Islam and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then you have somebody say like, well, you know, we shouldn't be focusing on them. We should be focusing on, you know, these white supremacists over here. And, and I remember just thinking like, eh, there's some people in Orlando that I think might disagree with you. Um, and so like, it just, it just felt like, eh, how about all of them? That's not bad. But, but then I, but I recognize what the, what they are trying to do. And they do such a, it's, this is not a perfect film. Um, mm-hmm. it has some structure issues, uh, but it's a film that, you know, there are clan members and Nazis in the news. Yeah. You know, as I said, uh, before when like clan members like, uh, endorsed Donald Trump, I was like, I thought you were gone. Yeah. I, I didn't know that you made public statements, Yeah, you know, and then crazy ass Richard Spencer, uh, who it's wrong to hit by the way. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. It's wrong to punch people. It's wrong to punch people. Doesn't yes. make it not satisfying. Oh, no question about it. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, just cause something is satisfying. Doesn't make it moral. In fact, uh, the most often the most immoral things are the most satisfying. Um, yeah. But when a guy openly advocates black genocide on the internet, then my disagreement with punching him is, 
a disagreement on paper only, I guess. Yeah, no, see that I feel like, uh, is a little bit more understandable. Uh, it's, it's when, you know, when protesters start, uh, pepper spraying people who simply want to go see a speech, uh, and throwing rocks at people and stuff. It's just like, "Eh, this is not helpful. Um, sticks and stones versus words and such. Although if you like, um, just this morning it came out what 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 milo yiannopoulos plans were at his speech at berkeley okay which was that he was like he did with the uh, with outing the transgender student at um was it milwaukee uh Correct. he was planning to um um uh, read out the names of uh un uh undocumented berkeley students at his at his speech and i feel like that's like i i'm not sure um that that I, uh, yeah, cause I'm all for like free speech. Yes. Let, I don't care if I disagree, let him, let him speak. But like, if he's out to harm people, you know, and if, or to single out individuals the right. way that he did yeah, with Lily Jones on Twitter, I can't, I, I, I'm not saying it's oh, the, the, right. the, 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 the violent protests are, are okay. I think those did more harm than good, but, um, I'm okay with shutting him down at that point. You know, if it's like, if it's like, uh, you know, your guy Shapiro, uh, what is his name? Ben Shapiro. Ben. Like that's a guy I very much disagree with, but let him talk. Yeah. Miley Yiannopoulos, I think has gone, um, much too far and, uh, it's gone round the bend. Yeah, he's gone um, round the bend. uh, I'm not comfortable saying Ben Shapiro is my guy. Uh, <laughs> uh, easy there. Did I even say, I didn't even remember yeah. saying that. Um, uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> oh, I'm betting on him. Uh, but he's you know, the, he's the. He's the one of them who's anti-Trump. Yeah, uh, yes, uh, there there are more than than uh, that's neither here nor there. The point is, um, I will say that uh, it's the targeting of of not even support like people that wanted to hear him. Right, that was it. People standing in line and uh, people with masks and uh, it threw rocks at people and pepper sprayed them simply because they wanted to hear yeah. Milo Yiannopoulos. And regardless they of might have been reacting or, you know, motivated by the fact that uh, an anti Milo Yiannopoulos uh, protester got shot uh, <laughs> like the week before. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so maybe they were a little bit on guard again. I can't say I'm defending it, but I would feel I, if we ended this episode and I didn't bring up the fact that a guy got shot, um, uh, I would feel bad. And that's the thing is we can keep going back further and further. Cause I guarantee that guy got shot because somebody thought that they were going to get physically assaulted. Hmm. That guy doesn't deserve to get shot because someone else thinks that he might do something. Uh, just as, people who are waiting in line and I like, I'm very aware that yes. Okay. This was many months ago. Milo hadn't done any of the cre- uh, any of the right, right, right. Leslie Jones things. I was curious to hear what he would say at UCLA. So I was standing in line and now that means I could get fucking hit with a rock. Yeah. No, thank you. Now, admittedly, I wouldn't see him now because I don't care. I wouldn't, sorry. It's not that I don't care. I'm vehemently against him. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. Okay. Damn it. Imperium, what have you done to me? No, this is, I'm telling the listeners, it's, it's going to be like this. We've been saying it for a couple of weeks. This is what this show is Man. now. Get over it. Man, our numbers were up too. But this we were is, doing really well. <laughs> I, I don't know. This is the only place in my life where I can have these kind of conversations uh, with 
with someone who isn't going to either try to shut me down or try to tug me in a, uh, in a direction that isn't helpful. Oh, I was trying to shut you down. Is that not, cl- <laughs> is that not clear? No. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but that's the thing is, so now, so that was my initial thought when I saw Imperium, especially when they kind of spell out the way in which terrorist groups of any stripe, the way they operate, that they will encourage somebody to go and do something on their own. And then when that person does something on their own, they can say like, well, they're just kind of, it's, it's what's called the lone wolf theory. It's like, well, that's absolutely what happened to San Bernardino. It's what happened with the guy in Orlando. Um, you can distance yourself from the person that did, but it happens in with all these white supremacist groups as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, although maybe not so much anymore. They seem pretty emboldened now as groups. And so right. Imperium is so has become so much more relevant since I saw it. Good for for uh, the director, not Sean Ellis. That's uh, the other guy um, for Daniel. Oh, right. He has an unfortunate last name. Daniel Ragusis. Yeah, I feel bad about that. Poor guy. Um, I know too many S's. Uh, but, you know, he was he was prescient, I think. Uh, I mean, by the time he got the movie made, I, I don't think anybody assumed that uh, Donald Trump was going to be the Republican nominee, much less the mm-hmm. president. Uh, but I think he I think he looked at all of the fervor around like radical Islamic terrorists and understandably so. But I think he saw that, like. Yes. Okay. That is terrible. However, let's not, uh, let's not neglect some of these other groups that are still operating and who probably thrive on all of us looking at someone else. Um, and so, uh, and it's wonderfully acted all around, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, it takes a moment to get used to him, but boy, he commits 100%. And, uh, and I will say that, uh, Tracy Letts, Mm -hmm. Uh, plays a sort of alt-right Rush Limbaugh type character. And man, there's where he's, he's like a radio host, but it's like online radio, you know, and who listens to that? I'm <laughs> referencing us now. Um, but, uh, and man, he gets the, he gets the tone right. He gets the cadence right. It is great. Uh, it's, it's a film that's worth seeing for a number of reasons. And, and of course, anytime, any movie, any movie you watch that involves like somebody undercover is going to be rem- It's very stressful. Um, but it's, it's one that, uh, I think we should watch now. Um, I think you should watch it then, but I think now you mean like right now. Yeah. Okay. Hang on. Let's take a break. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Scary, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Tracy, that's pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Um, <laughs> moving on this movie just barely missed the cut of being in my top 10 honorable mentions. In fact, at one point in the year before I, you know, readjusted some things, um, based on multiple viewings and more thought, uh, this was right at the top of my list. This is a documentary directed by Joe Berlinger. It's called Tony Robbins. I am not your guru, right? This wasn't your top 10 for a long time. It was number one for a while for, yeah, for a couple weeks, uh, because, because yeah, when I, when I saw it, uh, it, uh, made me, it made me giddy because it's, mm. um, it, not Joe Berlinger along with, um, uh, the late, um, Bruce Sanofsky, is that his name? Um, made Metallica, some kind of monster. Right. And that's also an amazing movie. <laughs> um, and Tony Robbins, I am not your guru is very much in that same vein, both in the, in the 
in the sentence structure than it has like the subject colon an actual title. Um, but also in the sense that you can watch, you can be a diehard Metallica fan and watch some kind of monster with no irony, mm-hmm. or you can watch some kind of monster to gawk and laugh at Metallica for two, sure. two plus hours. Sure. Um, it is a long movie. It's almost two and a half hours. This one's about two hours on the nose. Uh, Tony Robbins, I am not your guru is the same sort of way. Like you could, if you're susceptible or I say susceptible, which I, that sounds like a, a, a judgment. If you're someone who, is open to Tony Robbins and his message and his type of uh, self-help thing. You can see this almost as a recruitment video as a mm-hmm. hagiography. Um, but uh, if you're like me, you see it as a portrait of a possible lunatic um, uh, and a um, fascinating look at people who completely submit themselves to him for for the the space of a week in the, in the in these in these seminars he gives all different kinds of seminars this one is his big one that costs five thousand dollars to attend wow. and takes six days and they're full days of either working in groups or just listening to tony robbins talk uh, in a hotel ballroom for eight hours at a time um uh it's 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 cultish but what but uh, even in what I've said so far, I feel like I've done the movie a disservice because it's not actually one or the other. It's both. Like you can come away from this movie going, that guy's nuts. That guy might be dangerous. These hmm. people might be brainwashed, but also he's clearly helping some people. Like yeah. there are clearly some people who are uh, having real breakthroughs. And, uh, you know, it's, I guess when it comes to something as, um, as, as delicate and, uh, uh, ineffable as the human mind, uh, you can't really judge what works for other people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I am not your guru. It's just, I, I could go, you know, it's been six months, but I could go back to like reenacting moments in the film, which I think yeah. I did on the movie journal, um, that I'm not going to going to do here, but, um, uh, yeah, there is one point I won't go. Okay. I think I told the whole story before. Just, there's one point where he, browbeats a man calls him essentially a beta male uh he all but calls him a cuck uh, oh, in, boy. in 26 if this movie were uh, yeah made now maybe he'd call him a cuck but um uh in front of all these people he berates him emasculates him in front of all these people and then um uh, in, in, and in front of his girlfriend and then the next morning they're both giddy talking to their work groups about how they went back to the hotel room and had the best sex of their lives after that uh there's there's all sorts of places like that and um also uh, tony robbins uses the word fuck like i'm not it's not that I'm like sensitive to it, but at the point, like he finds ways to cram fuck into a sentence that even I, even I have to be like yeah. a little impressed that a, by that a middle schooler <laughs> who's being defiant couldn't possibly think of. Uh, yeah. Uh, um, it's, uh, the, this movie's a, it's just a wonder, um, and a bizarre trip to a part of, uh, America and the human psyche that, uh, I, I, I didn't know about. And there's also, I mean, like I, I'm telling the things, the stuff I'm telling you is, um, the, the sort of funny stuff. There's also some really, really heavy stuff. Like some of these people who like, there's one young woman who comes to the seminar who was raised in a cult where she was raped from the age of like eight years old. Oh, like there's some people who are like, uh, have gone through trauma that we can't, 
most of us can't even imagine and they feel helped by this and this is the part where you know to to put all my snideness and glibness aside there are parts of i am not your guru that is that are absolutely inspirational and heartbreaking um and the fact that all of this happens in one movie i'm talking about it now and i'm like fuck i should put this back in my top 10 <laughs> it's such a good movie it's too late now uh, it is too late now but it's still on netflix uh so definitely check out tony robbins i am not your guru that's and that's mine you've got one more all right w- will this be the one that i've seen i don't think so i don't think so okay so every film up until now i in the sky has some comedic moments but every film up until now has been pretty damn heavy if you were to watch all of these in the weekend i think it's safe to say uh you will actually go back to work more tired um but this last one uh is a film that i can't stop thinking about i purchased it because it's a film i want to revisit and that is henry juiced and ariel showman's nerve um, oh. this film has no right being this good yeah um based on a young adult novel uh and it's putting in all the effort that's the thing. I could have seen this, but I decided to attend our Battleship Retention Comic-Con meetup instead. They were, Lionsgate was showing it at Comic-Con, yeah. and I could have gone. Uh, you know what? I think you made the wrong choice. <laughs> Damn. Um, but uh, it's just so fun. It's, it's about this, uh, this app that people have on their phone that I think is called Nerve. Um, and you can either be a watcher or a... Uh, participant isn't the word it's something more more catchy than that uh and the idea is everybody can watch you on their phone uh and you uh use your phone as a camera and people uh give you assignments of like oh you have to do this and if you do you could win ten dollars um and then you looks like it's just watcher or player watcher or player that's it yes yes um yeah, participant isn't that exciting. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then the, the challenges go up and up and you could get more money and more money. And at some point you can say, okay, I think I'm done. And then you get the money that you've earned. But if you do it, it's, it's not unlike, you know, who wants to be a millionaire or something like that, where if you decide, okay, I'm going to do this challenge for, you know, $1,000 or something like that, but you actually chicken out and you don't do it, then you actually lose all the money that you would have gotten. Oh, so you get nothing. You get nothing. So, but, you know, the more of these you do, the more money you could make. And and it gets more dangerous. Uh, it gets more brazen. Um, and so, you know, there's, na- there's a natural build to the suspense. Um, everything starts out very playful and then it just gets worse and worse. Um, it definitely reminds me in some ways of, uh, David Fincher's the game. It's like a much more fun version of the game. Uh, and it's just cut together so well. I mean, I know it sounds weird to just be talking about the editing, but again, with, with a suspense movie, especially one that is trying to strike a fun tone. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like, it needs to it needs to have you on the edge of your seat but like you know it it needs to be more of a roller coaster than something like eye in the sky or something like that this needs to be fun first and foremost but there need to be there still needs to be stakes um i also think it's a tremendous use of color it is a it's a film that really uh engages in you know harsh neon blues and pinks and that sort of thing. Uh, 
it, yeah, it's it's tremendous fun to watch. And then the two leads, Emma Roberts and Dave Franco, are remarkably likable. They have really great chemistry. It's just a I can't. It's that's that it was gets a really big... preachy at the at the end. I'll okay. say that, uh, but. And even then it's done well, but it's just like, okay, whatever. But then I realized like, eh, it's a young adult novel. It's probably a little bit more obvious, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, that, that, um, that the casting choices were a big, uh, reason I was interested in it. Cause those are both, uh, actors that I feel like on the surface, I should not be that into cause they're kind of like yeah. blandly attractive, you know, traditionally attractive, uh, uh, young people they look like stars of a cw show or whatever sure. but both of them both dave franco and and uh emma roberts have um repeatedly uh in in various different projects um been really interesting actors to me that make make interesting interesting choices yeah it's i think it is possible to say that their characters are a little bit blander than they than those actors have been elsewhere dave franco especially like when he does comedy he's delightful um Whereas in this, he's, he's just kind of seen as a, you know, you, you come to realize like, oh yeah, I guess he is a pretty attractive guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there's a certain smoldering charm to him. Uh, but he's also just very, he doesn't overplay that aspect. And then Emma Roberts is actually quite delightful uh, as well as this girl who is very predictable. And then she just decides to one night defy other people's expectations of her and, uh, play this game. And, and as I said, uh, when I first saw it and I talked about it in the movie journal, there are certain things that where the, the filmmakers play with structure, you know, because the, any audience seeing a thriller, we have expectations, uh, whether we are conscious of them or not. And so we see like a certain build and then we see these, su- we see supporting characters that we've gotten to know. And now they are making some bad decisions in this game and you sort of, and you're in, you, you anticipate that like, all right, we haven't had a major stake raise in a moment Mm -hmm. in a while. Is this character going to die? Like (laughs) they should structurally, they should. And I won't say whether they do or not, but they definitely play with the structure. Um, and so that you expect something, but then something else comes, uh, comes from a uh, comes from the side your expectation is then possibly fulfilled later but when you are not expecting it and it's yeah it, it is just so much fun i wish that it had done better in theaters because if you know and i'm going to sound particularly old now if actually if this did reach the audience that it was meant to you know like a young adult audience i'd be like oh great I mean, I'm, I'm happy they're seeing this, uh, having seen more of the twilight films than I'm comfortable saying, um, (laughs) I will say that, you know, those got less ambitious as they went along and just more schlocky. Whereas this is a film that embraces ambition and I don't think it's part of a franchise. So this is it. It's, this is everything they can be. And it's, it's a film that I, that I enjoyed tremendously. Well, this was fun. Uh, uh, shining a a light through the cracks. Yeah. And especially, uh, uh, I'd like to go back to past years and try to find out, is this the first time neither like we've done, we've each done five movies that the other person hasn't seen. I don't know if it's the first time, but I will say that I think this, I think these 10 movies we've talked about might be some of the more obscure movies we've talked about in the last few years. Uh, well, um, 
Yeah, check out these movies. What do you want, what do you want me to tell you? Uh, <laughs> you can find reviews. Get of, off my back. <laughs> you can find reviews of some of these movies over at battleshipretention.com, and you can find all sorts of other fun stuff uh, at, at that website, uh, at the dot com, mm-hmm. as we say. Um, uh, look, look for our zine uh, <laughs> soon. Um, oh, we should do a zine. Why? Um, Why would we do that? I don't know, because uh, nostalgia, I guess. Sure. Um, anyway, uh, so that's uh, com. You can you can find us there. You can email us at david at com or tyler at com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Davey Pretension. Tyler, you're at Tyler Pretension. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's going on over at your other podcast, More Than One Lesson? Uh, you got really excited there. Uh, your other podcast, more than one. Le- you, well, I'm excited. I appreciate that. Uh, we are continuing with our best of pictures, uh, series. And we just talked about, uh, Ilya Kazan's on the waterfront, which is a film that everybody acknowledges is good, but because of who Ilya Kazan was and some of the choices he made, the film has taken on, uh, a great deal of significance that admittedly he wanted it to take on in that way at the time. But, uh, it's a film that I found people have a hard time embracing because since then, because of that, um, like some of my fellow students. Yeah. I don't have a hard time embracing that movie, even though I'm absolutely more in sympathy with the type of person who would. Sure. Sure. Um, but, uh, I have no problem recognizing that it's a great movie. Yeah. It's, it's not a film that I, I really didn't like it that much when I first saw it, but it's a film that has definitely grown on me in, with subsequent, subsequent viewings. Um, but I do think my favorite Elia Kazan film is A Face in the Crowd. Have you seen A Face in the Crowd? Um, have I seen A Face in the Crowd? No, with Andy I Griffith. No, 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 I haven't seen that one. Boy, it's great. Um, and as, as many people have been saying lately, it is a film that is very relevant to today. Um, yes, uh, that's what I hear. Um, speaking of On the Waterfront. Okay. Uh, Carl Malden plays the priest. Yes, he does. Uh, he also played a priest in an episode of the West wing. Oh yeah. Um, do you know, uh, this is a bit of trivia I learned, I think from a commentary, maybe in the West wing, the Bible that he brings to the oval office is the same Bible he used. He had kept it from working on, on the waterfront and had all his ears and he's holding the same Bible. We don't talk about Carl Malden enough. I mean, people. Yeah, like we, we as a, a as a human race, yeah. human race to talk about Carl Malden. He's a very, he was, he was a very understated actor and he often, you know, he was, he was like quintessential, uh, supporting actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would always be the, the kind of the regular guy in the face of more flamboyant people, whether it be in Patton or streetcar named desire or on the waterfront is when he really gets to be a bit more bold and assertive in the character yeah. he's playing. But, uh, but yeah, he's somebody that I, I would like to actually look into a little bit more and watch more of his stuff. But anyway, sorry, moving on. Uh, moving on to thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the battleship pretension fleet. 